0: Welcome to another edition of What the Cross Means to Me, devotional program. This is your host, Rob Holt, coming to you from KKXX Studios, Chico Life Radio, 104.5 FM and AM 930. It is good to be with you as we contemplate fresh perspectives on the meaning of the cross. I am not a theologian, but a photographer of over 30 years. If a picture tells a thousand words, then yes. I guess you could say I preach to the glory of our Creator by capturing, illustrating, and sharing what the Creator has created. My mission is to share the gospel through my imagery, the spoken word, and the written word. This radio program fulfills the spoken part And the imagery utilized in this devotional are of a singular cross on a lonely hill, shot over a two-year period. The written word for this program is from a book I published about that cross collection. It matches 30 cross images with 30 original essays from a wide spectrum of Christian leaders sharing their insights on the cross. The book shares the same name as the program. What the Cross Means to Me, by Harvest House Publishing. Each week, we read one of the essays and ponder the wider meaning of the cross as we look at it through the Word of God. This week's essay is The Message of the Cross, by Elizabeth George. Elizabeth George is a godly author whose books have sold more than 12 million copies. She's the author of A Woman After God's Own Heart and Proverbs for a Woman's Day. She is a popular speaker at Christian women's events and along with her husband Jim, they are parents and grandparents and have been active now in ministry for over 30 years. I will start the essay, The Message of the Cross, by Elizabeth George. It's time, girls! It's Good Friday. Today is the day we take out our cross-shaped cookies for our neighbors. First, we'll mix the dough and roll it out. Then we'll cut out the cookies with our cross-cookie cutter. And after the cookies are baked, we'll wrap up a plateful for each neighbor and decorate the packages. Then when Daddy gets home, we'll deliver them together to our neighbors for Easter. Don't forget the cards, Mom, either Catherine or Courtney would remind me. The special cross-shaped Easter cards about the cross that we always sign and take with the cookies. For years, this was the scene in our kitchen each Easter time, as my two daughters and I sought for ways our family could share the Easter message. The good news of Jesus Christ's death, burial, and resurrection, the good news of Jesus' triumph over sin and death, and the good news of salvation and eternal life through Jesus Christ, and to share it with our oh-so-needy neighbors. Oh, our, our cookie-cutter collection included the shapes of a baby chick, a bunny rabbit, and even an Easter egg, but we chose the cross. Why? Why? Well, until my daughters got it, they invariably asked me the same question. Why the cross? Why not the chick or the bunny or the egg? Always, in the simplest of terms, I tried to answer this question in a way that would teach my girls the meaning of the cross, the longtime symbol of Christianity and the death of Jesus Christ. C. Christ, God in flesh, gave his life, Philippians 2.8. As a R, ransom, a payment for sins, Matthew 20.28. 20, o. Offering up his life as a sinless sacrifice, Hebrews 10.14. S. Suffering unto death. Hebrews twelve two, To secure our S, salvation, from sin and death. Colossians 2, 13 14. Now, my friend, I have three questions for you. Have you embraced the Christ of the cross as your Savior? Are you teaching your children about the cross? Are you reaching out to others with the message of the cross? That ends the essay, The Message of the Cross, as written by Elizabeth George and submitted for the book, What the Cross Means to Me. The photo accompanying this essay is the declaration, which is an image of the cross covering the lower 60% of the frame. Above the cross is a heavenly scene of light breaking through the clouds, shining down golden amber light upon the cross. It feels to me like there is a declaration being made, much like the image from last episode, where it reminded me of the scene of the baptism of Jesus in the Jordan River, except this could be a scene from the Easter morning after the resurrection, and God the Father saying, This cross was the way that the sacrificial lamb, my son, obediently used to save all of mankind. In him, I am very, very pleased. When Elizabeth George started the essay describing the annual ritual of baking cross cookies with her kids, it reminded me of the Christmas ritual of placing Jesus in the empty trough of the family crest on Christmas Eve. But the nativity tradition is one that witnesses to our kids and sometimes to a wider circle of our immediate family. The Easter tradition Elizabeth detailed for us is an intention to share the gospel with her neighbors. And it got me thinking. And allow me to provide my commentary backwards this week, meaning I'll work back from an extreme example as way of an analogy-based question. What if you were called into court for some sort of hypothetical trial to prove your Christian faith? Would your neighbors be counted on as witnesses? Would they be able to speak to or validate their belief in your faith in Christ? Would they even be able to say that they think you might even be religious? And if we again, hypothetically, fail or barely pass the test. What would your resolve be to change that dynamic? Now, don't get me wrong. This is not from the perspective of proving anything to anyone. But it just is a way to get you thinking. And it's to think of the joy and the peace that can be shared. The joy and the peace that came with your acceptance of the gospel of Christ. I contend that we are not... Expected to actually convince anybody of anything, as in a trial. Why? Primarily because we can only lead the horse to water, yeah? And because none of us can make someone change their mind or heart on any topic, especially issues like their eternal resting place. Should we always be willing to share the message of the cross? Yes, my answer is yes. And to me, We live in the middle of two bookends in that paradigm. The crucifixion and our eternal life are those two bookends. In my opinion, the message of the cross is to share the message of the cross. For many years after my mom's conversion from a drug and uh, sin-filled life to a godly life, it was such a radical conversion that she could not help her joy from oozing out and affecting every conversation towards the good news of the gospel. And that's what I'm saying. That's all that we are expected of is to share, not trying to convince anyone of anything. There are times in our life where we will be more proactive, a dedicated purpose, like when you're on a specific mission or a mission trip. My mom decades later after she became a godly woman she spent time on the anastasis but before she was selected for the anastasis she spent countless days and nights walking on dedicated boulevards we called them drag strips where the cruising would happen and her and her church folk would every Friday night and Saturday night, just walk up and down, and whoever they talked to would be who they talked to. And yes, everyone she met, she struck up a discussion about their need to meet Jesus. She led some of the sinners in prayer, and I would hear about it during our testimony time on Sunday. But most times, she was planting seeds. And there was many other dedicated mission purposes my mom and was involved with but when she went on the Anastasius, the Youth with the Mission Mercy Ship, they would go out in teams and use mime and skits as the people that they were witnessing to did not speak English. It was a direct intention to share the gospel, but in an indirect and nonverbal way. And I think that's the theme of what I'm sharing today. Don't get me wrong, we're not we we are co- we are, we are to proactively strike up dedicated conversations about the gospel to a person or a target audience, but at the same time, it should be the right time and with the Spirit's prompting. The point I'm getting to is in regards to what the writer of Ecclesiastes reminds us. There is a time for everything. Even the disciples sent out two by two by Jesus on their missionary trip eventually returned and along the way shook off a lot of dirt from many towns off their sandals. Then they returned home to their neighborhood for a time. My point is, for the rest of the time, when they were not participating in missionary activities, they simply lived their lives as a husband, as a father, as a brother, as a friend. So my contention is that over the long haul, Our behaviors and actions have a greater impact than a conversation or two. Like the missionary activity of the port off the Anastasius. They would share a whole scene and describe a whole story non-verbally through their actions. And they got the point across. So yes, when there is a good opportunity and when prompted by the Holy Spirit we can shape a conversation with an actual neighbor on our street towards a discussion about the gospel. And asking the right questions lead them to a consideration of accepting it. But if we bring it up every day or every time we see them, it will be counterproductive and awkward. Actually, they may start avoiding you. Remember, Jesus said, Be cunning as serpents and harmless as doves like the trapdoor spider. You need the spidey sense of the Holy Spirit's prompting and an awareness of the situation to know when to tactfully strike and share the good news of the gospel in a purposeful manner. I contend that after an initial direct discussion of the gospel with the neighbor, informing them of our faith, it will then revert to how we live that will water the seed and eventually, potentially, harvest the soul, or in some cases, the family. The obvious exception to this is to be creative in finding non-confrontive ways to water the seed that we have planted, like the activity, the family tradition that Elizabeth shared in the essay, to give out cross cookies and cross cards at Easter, or nativity cards at Christmas. I love that. If during the handoff, we can get the discussion about the cross and Christ, then yes, moments like that are perfectly appropriate times to shape the conversation. And in regards to the Christmas cards, use purposeful phrasings inside about God's blessing on their family. And the rest of the time, it's about how we live. And part of it is staying aware of a divine appointments. Some can be by accident you're outside in the front of your house, and you see your neighbor working on something, trying to load or unload something, and you feel that spirit's prompting to walk over and ask if they, if they could use some help, then you're watering that seed. Or it could be, let's say you're walking your dog, and you bump into your neighbor, and you ask, without the goal of creating a witnessing conversation, something like, hey, how are you? When they respond to that question by saying, "Good," which we all seemed conditioned to always say, you respond with, great, how is everyone else? Is everyone healthy? Uh Uh-huh. I find that sometimes there may be a grandma, an Aunt Mabel, or a cousin George fighting some kind of illness. Then you ask if they'd like you to pray for them. And again, we all seem programmed to say yes to that kind of question too. (laughs) I've never had anybody say no to that question then you inform them you will, and then you do. You'd better. And I'm sure I don't need to comment as to why from a negative perspective. But from a positive perspective, there's a double benefit in that when you have your prayer time, you pray not just for Aunt Mabel, but you have the perfect opportunity to remember that specific neighbor and pray for them. Praying something like, God, Please lead them to a saving knowledge of your Son and their Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. This means that through our actions, behaviors, words, and prayers, we can lead them towards a consideration of the gospel. And we can always pray. If we live on a particular street, condo complex, or apartment building, then those around us are meant to be in our circle of life. So even if I don't get a chance to say hi or how how are you, Simply seeing them prompts me to say a quick prayer right there at that moment for them and or or for their family. My office window faces the street. When I see one of them drive or walk by, I stop and say a quick prayer for them. Again, asking that the Holy Spirit would visit them and lead them to a saving knowledge in their Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I pray that prayer a lot, not just for my neighbors, Another group uh, in in our circle of influence is extended to our family. In family events, everyone knows or should know about your faith in Christ, and will be watching your actions and words with a magnifying glass. There will be divine appointment times to have a gospel discussion with one or more of the family, but it is even more critical to be aware as they observe how we live and how we react to life. So careful how to react to hot topics of, say, politics or other religions or other philosophies or how to handle the situation when somebody brings up gossip. Always be aware. These people know us best. And correcting a misconception based off an honest, reactive mistake takes much longer to correct in a family than a neighbor. So I like to pray right before entering a family event to calibrate as best as possible with the Holy Spirit and for everyone I'll be interacting with, asking God to bless them through me. It makes a difference. Same at a job. One prayer I would say before going into the day job is to ask God to bless that company through me, the company itself to be successful, and the co-workers that I'd be interfacing with. Then there's the rest of our societal circle of influence. When I set, would set up at a craft fair booth, for example, I would watch a person or a family pass by and, and say a prayer for them. Well, not 100% of the time, because hopefully there'd be many busy times at a craft fair, or I'd lose money. But during those slow times, when I would, when a family would walk by the booth, or if they visited my booth and be walking away, I would often say a prayer for them. It could be at a mall, an the airport, a sporting event, in the checkout lane behind someone. And especially it can be when I see a homeless person praying for God to meet them where they are, for the Holy Spirit to lead them to a saving knowledge of their Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Being a people watcher can be entertaining but our prayers can help their guardian angel help them with and through our little mustard seed prayer. That is why it is important to stay aware that the kingdom of God is all around us, always around us. This is fostered by morning prayer and scripture reading. If we allow ourselves to be consumed by the stress of everyday living, we can lose this awareness. Not just to pray, but in some cases to assist the direction of a conversation towards a godly direction. That started with the morning prayer, not during the actual conversation. And if we are unable to get the discussion to the life-changing topic of Jesus Christ, we can share enough about ourselves that they walk away knowing that we are a Christian. I guess I'm saying it's not about your actual words, it's about your intention, constant kingdom-based intentions. Like my cross images, they do not say anything verbally, but I have seen visceral reactions of bitter acrimony. And more importantly, I've seen many times where the viewer of my cross image break down in tears. Our lives should be like art, allowing God to compose the symphony of our soul or be the master painter of our spiritual canvas allowing God to bless people through us, allowing the message of the cross to come through in how we live and how we react to life. I remember Chuck Swindoll had a quote that said, life is 10% what happens to you and 90% how you react to it. We all go or will go through tough spots in life. We will lose loved ones, lose a job, or our business fails, or it could be so many things that could happen. We have to put a pet down. It could be anything. Life is full of ups and downs. But how we choose to respond makes a huge and potentially eternal effect on those around us. Because after all, what is this message of the cross? It means to me that if I accept the sacrifice Jesus made for me on the cross, then my eternal destiny is secured, and the peace of I felt and still feel so deep. The feeling I felt when God took my wife's hands from me, bringing her on to glory. It was a feeling of peace that I want others to feel and know. The knowing that nothing in between my acceptance of what Jesus did on the cross and my entering into heaven can change that. As Paul the Apostle wrote in Romans 8, 39, neither height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. This knowing, this faith, can be, should be what keeps you calm through any storm in life. All the cares of the world dim in darkness compared to the resurrection light of Christ. My mom had a plaque that read, don't look, To how big your problem is. Don't focus on that, but look to the bigness of your God. No matter what we go through, remember we are in Christ and in God's will, and thus all things will work out. As it says in Romans 8.28, for we know that all things work together for good for them that love the Lord and are called according to his purposes. So no matter what, we can say, what is the worst that could happen in a particular situation? Many of us get frozen making a decision about to do this or do that, or you know how it is, you get stuck in a decision mode. But ask yourself, what is the worst that could happen? Okay, in any situation, the worst that could happen I could think of is you might die. But to die here is to be alive in Christ. The good news of the gospel is an inverted truth. The worst-case scenario is always the best-case scenario if we are in God's will. So yes, we should live in such a way that this perspective of peace permeates in and through us, indirectly and sometimes directly preaching the message of the cross to all around us at all times, because God's kingdom is always around us at all times. Based on what I share in this devotional, I am not saying... A renewed heart of evangelization is the only message I take from the message of the cross. But I believe it is a great other side towards the other bookend, the heaven side of this analogy of two bookends. If you recall, I said the first bookend is the actual event that took place at Golgatha 2,000 years ago. What we learn in the middle is what caused us to ask Jesus to be our savior, and helps maintain our faith. To me, this can be crucial for a Christian in their daily walk. In our last devotional, back to the cross, I mentioned that in our daily carrying of our cross, one must have a starting place, and in my humble opinion, it begins meditatively back at the foot of the cross. Yes, right there with the Roman guards that just tortured Jesus in so many ways. They injured and disfigured Jesus on the cross. Two thieves on each side, along with the two Marys and his most intimate disciple, John. What lessons for ourselves can we learn there? What lessons of obedience, submission, and sacrifice can we learn from Jesus? What can we learn about the crown of thorns? What was the gambling of his clothes about? What can we learn about the juxtaposed conversation of the two thieves? What can we learn from Jesus asking John to care for Mary and mary to care for john what can we learn from the deeper meaning when jesus prayed father forgive them or cried i thirst or uttered i commit my life into your hands and especially when he said it is finished now most many of you might say i don't have time for such meditative prayers that's that's something you need to work out I would encourage you, if you can't increase your prayer time by half an hour, maybe pick five five additional minutes. And when you pray, picture yourself at the foot of the cross. Start your daily prayer session right there and allow the Holy Spirit to guide your prayer session for that day. Allow the Holy Spirit to provide you a message from the cross, specially customized for that day. Pray more than you pray now. The goal should be to strengthen your faith, to equip you with the spiritual awareness to share the message of the cross with others. And if you, listening today, have never accepted the sacrifice Jesus made for you for the forgiveness of your sins and to open up your life into a brand new phase of love, and joy, peace of mind, then I suggest you say this similar prayer as well. Take time to really think about jesus allowed to happen to him for you on that day if you respond with a longing for the regenerative change to where you are in life then i ask you to imagine yourself being there look up at jesus letting him know of your situation and intentions, asking for his salvation and healing letting him know that you accept his sacrifice ask god if you are real And change me you could become a love-filled joy-filled and peace-sharing person of God too. to receive grace and to share grace may not be a part of this message close your eyes again imagine yourself at the cross ask Jesus to change you and ask him if you can be reconciled with and in him and for you to be in the paradise of his soul simply say that prayer Today, And with that, my brothers and sisters, go in grace. May God keep you in his perfect peace. Thanks for listening to What the Cross Means to Me, a devotional program heard every week on KKXX Life Radio. If you'd like to view the image discussed today, like the essay's image of the Declaration, or my other verse then check out Magi Cross on Instagram. And if your church or youth group or school would like to learn more about how to fundraise through the Magi Cross products or to read further meditative musings on the cross through my Magi blog, then log on to MagiCross.com. That's M A J C R O S S.com.